Have you ever experienced a moment in your life that was so perfect, so peaceful, so profound that you wish you could have just stayed in it forever? It, there was this conversation or this person or this event or this experience and in the midst of it or even after it, you wished you could just linger there and that life would always be like that. How many of you could search your heart and mind and come up with something like that? And how many of you would say that when you think about that moment, it seemed like God was more present in that moment than perhaps most other moments in your life? It was a, it was a thin place. Celtic Christians talk about this. We've mentioned before, they believe there were some places in the world or some experiences we could be in where there's no more than three feet between earth and heaven. There's this crossover place. Or the veil between earth and heaven is incredibly sheer. If you think about that moment that you're thinking of in your life, that may have been one of those moments. One of those moments that you just wanted to linger in, to stay in. You didn't want to move past that. If you've got one of those in your mind, you might hold on to that. Because before the end of this day, or maybe before the end of this week, it may hold the key, or it may not, to something that God wants for you and from you next. I don't know exactly. It's a mystery. Kind of like the mystery surrounding this story we just heard read from Luke chapter 9. It's been interesting to read a variety of commentaries on the transfiguration and what it might mean. People have a variety of different perspectives on that. And some just say they're so conflicted about it that we should just sit in trance before the mystery of God in the incarnation and allow it to prompt us in worship and nothing else. And that's not a bad idea to sit before the mystery of God reverently in that paradox, in that mystery. In fact, Jesus might have wanted more of that from Peter in this moment. Peter wakes up to see Jesus on the mountain, you remember, transfigured in divine radiance and having this conversation with Moses and Elijah. And of course, it's not in Peter's nature to sit still. He wants to do something. Let's celebrate this moment, Jesus. Let's put up some tents for each of you, Jesus. It's good for us to be here in this moment, Jesus, which is his way of saying what? Some people believe he was trying to launch a celebration of the wilderness wanderings and the Feast of Booths so that they could all set up camp and celebrate the past. Jesus was here on the mountain with the greats of the past, after all. A perfect moment to celebrate the past and worship. And some people just simply think that Peter was saying, hey, this is great, Jesus. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the kind of thing we've been longing for. So let's just get some tents and camp out here for a while. Let's not move on. It was probably something like that. But whatever it was, Luke wants us to know that Peter is to some degree at least missing the point. There he goes again, Luke says. He meant well, but he just doesn't know what he's doing. That's the sense that we get from this story and many stories with Peter. And once again, we have to at least empathize a little bit with Peter, at least I do. Because first of all, he and the others had gotten themselves so worked up and even worn down that they almost missed the moment. There's nothing wrong with sleeping, of course. Most of us need to sleep a little bit more from time to time. But in this story, sleeping represents 
unfaithfulness. And wakefulness represents faithfulness, something for us to consider when we're thinking about how many holy moments in our lives we're probably sleeping through. Secondly, Peter is excited, and who wouldn't be? He's not only witnessed Jesus transfigured in radiant glory, Jesus is also up there just chatting away with two of the greats, Moses and Elijah. In this moment, this moment answers some of Jesus' critics for Peter. Jesus was defying the law and the prophets, they said. Jesus was doing a new thing, they said, that wasn't connected at all to the old things that God was doing. And yet right here we see Jesus showered with divine affirmation, having a conversation with the great lawgiver and the great prophet. Jesus said, not come to do away with the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And here in this moment, we see that in a beautiful way, a way that has immediately given Peter some clarity And some confirmation. Jesus is who he suspected him to be, the Messiah. And I I say some clarity because we're obviously meant to see that Peter doesn't have complete clarity. There are still some things he's missing, missing about the function of this moment with Jesus. Things that Luke and Jesus definitely want us to get about the purpose and the meaning and the point of the transfiguration. Now, again, some might say we're stepping out too far here to try to discern the meaning of this moment, that we're in danger of committing the same mistake as Peter, that we should just sit here in reverent contemplation before the mystery of the transfiguration, getting caught up in it. But I think that perhaps the light of Jesus may illumine a little bit more about this moment for us. Consider the context. At the beginning of this passage, we're told that this happened after Jesus said all of that. About eight days after Jesus said all of that. What was all of that? Well, if you've got your Bibles open, you can turn and look upward, scroll upward a little bit, and then what you'll see is that all of that is a very accurate but disturbing description of what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah and what it meant for them to follow him. It comes right after Peter declares that Jesus was the Messiah the Son of the living God. Jesus said this, you'll see it. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now scroll down a little bit. Verse 44, if you're looking in your Bible. And you'll notice that in verse 44, Jesus cryptically says the same thing again. He's telling them that his Messiahship is going to involve submission and sacrifice and suffering and death, not just for him, but for them too. So in light of that, what do you suppose the purpose of the transfiguration might have been? Why did Jesus have this happen to him, slap dab in the middle of telling them all of that. Perhaps because when you hear something like that, your natural instinct is to run full speed in the other direction. 
Every, every person outside of your little group is saying that you're crazy, you're a, you're a heretic, and now the guy you've given your life to is saying that this commitment to him is going to end in sacrifice and suffering and death. Don't you think that would have been hard to hear? Hard to accept? Difficult to understand? Don't you think that anyone in their right mind would have questioned whether or not Jesus was in his right mind? Don't you think that Jesus knew that some of them and some of us were going to need a little bit more encouragement, a little bit more understanding, a little bit more clarity, a little bit more assurance to be prepared for what was coming next? I think that's a big part of what this moment and moments like it are about. You know, the guys who witnessed this moment, Peter, James, and John, were considered part of Jesus' inner circle. The chosen among the chosen. For these kinds of assignments, some people say, because Jesus knew they were going to have extra special places of leadership in the church and they needed an extra bit of, 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 of challenge and training. And so Jesus would bring them off for these specially difficult moments. That could have been the reason why they're with him. Others have wondered, and I think this is very interesting, if Jesus spent more time with Peter, James, and John because they were a little bit slow. A little bit slower to understand than the other nine. Whatever the case was, it seems that here Peter definitely needed a little more help, just as most of us would. At the beginning of this sermon, many of you raised your hands and said there were, there were moments that you felt like in your life were infused with the presence of God. And that maybe even when those moments happened, you wish you could just stay in them. That is what Peter is trying to do here. But what we're meant to see, and I want you to see this, what we're meant to see is that staying in the moment isn't the purpose of these kinds of moments. In fact, that's probably why we're not told the exact location of the transfiguration. Some people think it was at Mount Hermon because this came in Mark after Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi. And some people think it was Mount Tabor in, in Nazareth. And others think that maybe Luke's just trying to draw a connection between Mount Sinai and, and Mount Horeb so that you can have that connection with Moses and Elijah, which, which might help you see a little bit more of the context from the glory that's emanating through Jesus in this moment. But we're never told for sure. And that's probably purposeful. Because God knows that if we knew where this happened, what we'd do is we'd go back to that place again and again and again, and, and we'd, we'd make a place of worship out of it, and we'd want to linger there as long as possible, just like Peter did. And if we did that, we'd be missing the point. As amazing as the transfiguration must have been to experience, the purpose of this moment was not to stay in the moment, but to move on from it. The transfiguration was about preparation. Ultimately, these disciples were not meant to move from mountaintop to holy mountaintop, but they were meant to move from mountaintop to cross. True for them and true for us as well. This scene, you know, echoes Jesus' own baptism, which marked the beginning of his earthly ministry. The transfiguration marks his move into Jerusalem toward submission and suffering and sacrifice and death. The transfiguration then is about preparation for their ultimate calling, our ultimate calling. 
which is to follow Jesus to the cross. Our ultimate calling is to follow Jesus to the cross. Did you hear that or were you sleeping? Your ultimate calling is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus no matter what that may mean for you. How many times have we, like Peter, wanted to seek out those mountaintop moments? And how often do we look back on those moments, those worship experiences, those ministries, those relationships, those accomplishments as the true high points of our lives with Christ? The transfiguration challenges those notions. Our mountaintop experiences with God are significant. They are filled with meaning and purpose, but they are not the point. We are children of God. Followers of Jesus who have been called to be salt and gospel light in this world for him. And I believe these special non-normative experiences in our spiritual past may be given to prepare us for something difficult and yet significant for God that God has for us in the future. So with that in mind, I want you to think back on your most recent mountaintop moment. Maybe not the one that came to mind earlier, maybe that was some special, but think back to the most recent mountaintop, you would call it a mountaintop moment, that you've experienced in your life. Got that in your head? You were never meant to stay in that moment. It was significant. It was a gift from God. But for what? Was there something you were supposed to learn? About God or about yourself? Was there a kind of clarity that that experience was supposed to provide for you so that you might understand the God who created you better or or what God is calling you to do or be now better? The transfiguration of Jesus is about clarity, confirmation, and encouragement for a people who were being prepared to do the hard, sometimes humiliating, but always good work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus had a grand purpose for those disciples. God had significant work for them to do. And you may not believe this yet, But God has work for you to do, too. I wonder what it is. Consider that now as we continue in this moment of worship.